Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you so much for your spirit. Thank you so much that we're making decisions for you and we're growing our spiritual walk with you. And Lord, that you would be blessed and be honored by everything that is said. I pray that hearts will be melted. I pray that decisions will be made for you today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I want to talk to you about getting in the flow. For most of you, if you've heard me speak before, know that I come from a hip-hop generation. I grew up in the hip-hop era. And so that word flow has a couple different meanings for me, right? When I grew up flow, it also meant someone who could rap, someone who could who would get in the groove or get in the in the in the in, in a space where they were just they were just flowing. They were just being creative. And if you got creative people in here, uh, we all get in our flow moments, right? When we're just we're just doing good, whether we're cooking or baking or doing something technical, doing a math problem. Hey, some people are like that, right? Uh, you know what it means to get in the flow. And what I want to talk about flow, I want to talk about the grace of God. Because there's something about being a believer and following Jesus. When you're in the flow, you just feel that the Lord is with you. You just feel that you are getting victory. You just feel that things are improving in your life and you're taking steps that are strong. And so I want to talk about this this morning because I believe Jesus wants us to get in the flow. I believe Jesus wants us to experience the overwhelming grace of his love, to be, to be flooded with it. And this term flow is really, uh, 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 it's, a, it's a word for us. It's language that we use around here. In fact, the values of our church are overflow. That's kind of the short code word for our values here. Ownership, um, value. Wait, I'm, I'm going too fast. I can't even spell anymore. Yeah, ownership, value, relationships, faith, leadership, and worship. That's our overflow mantra that we use but today getting in the flow I really want to zero in on this on what it means to accept the life of Jesus and I want to start with a text um, and I haven't put it on the screen because this text here I want to look at John 15 uh, verses 9 through 11 look at this with me this is what Jesus says he says I have loved you even as the father has loved me Remain in my love. In other words, stay in my love. Abide in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Jesus says the flow is my love. The flow is my grace. And if you want to remain in the flow, he makes it clear what we have to do. We have to obey his commandments. I want to talk about that a lot today. Just as I obey my father's commandments and remain in his love. Notice the language that Jesus used there. He says, my father. You see the relationship attached to that? He didn't just say, I follow the commandments of God or I follow the commandments of heaven. He didn't make it kind of arbitrary or some sort of theoretical or philosophical list of commandments. He's talking about something his father wants him to do. There's more than one. 
I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will, say that last word with me, overflow. Joy will overflow. As I was watching this shutdown from the government and looking at the stories of people who were struggling financially, who were hurting because of the financial hit that they were taking, I thought about myself. I thought about, first of all, if I was prepared for such a disaster. The reality is, is most Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. In fact, I was so inspired by that. Our leadership team was talking about that, that we in May are actually going to do a series about finances. We're going to make sure our church is prepared for any sort of economic crisis. We're going to make sure our people know how to survive. And so I wondered if I would have joy. I wondered if my joy would still be full if my bank account was empty. Because see, the joy Jesus is talking about is a different kind of joy. It's, it's a joy of flow. It's a joy that does, it's not compromised by circumstances. It's a different kind of joy. And Jesus is saying something in that text. If I go back to verse 11, Jesus is saying something that when you listen to me, when you do the things I need you to do, you will be filled with my joy. And your joy will overflow. That means it will spill on other people. That means it will be contagious. That means some people will look at you crazy and say, wait a minute, why are you so excited? Why are you so happy? Didn't you just get a bad report? Didn't you just lose your car? Didn't that person just break up with you? Yes, I can feel sad. I can feel devastated. I can feel hurt, but I still have joy. And so I want to talk about this joy because the flow means accepting the life Jesus wants for us. Let's be honest. We have a life that we want, right? We have a life that we want to live. We have an income that we want to make. We have the type of perfect spouse that we want to marry. We have all of those things figured out. The perfect job, the perfect car, the perfect outfit, the perfect everything. But some of those things are selected by what we see and what we think. And what I love about God is God thinks bigger than we do. He thinks higher than we do. He thinks broader than we do. And there are some things that God has for us that are greater than what we could ever even imagine. So we have to accept the life Jesus wants for us. That's not, that's not easy to do because there's things that Jesus wants and there's things that we want. Sometimes what we want is not what Jesus wants, right? We don't want what Jesus wants. But I want to talk through this series about five decisions, five decisions that will help you get in the flow of his grace. That's what this series is going to be about. Five decisions you need to make that it will help you keep you in the flow of his grace. Because it's easy to jump out the flow, right? It's easy to lose the joy. It's easy to lose perspective. It's easy to lose faith. It's easy to lose hope. It's easy to do, be doing great one week and not be doing so great the next week. So how do we stay in the flow? How do we, how do we as believers, are, how are we strong spiritually? And maybe if you're just early in your walk with God, maybe you just feel like I'm just a little baby. I don't have everything figured out. I still have a lot of dysfunction and pain in my life. God is saying, even in that step, I want you to start with this one decision. So here's the first decision 
I want to talk about today, and that's getting started. First step is to get started. It's interesting how simple that is and how profound that is. I don't know if you're anything about like me. I'm a dreamer. I have a huge imagination. I love to dream things. I have a lot of ideas, and I want to do a lot of things. But you know what? Sometimes my ideas become the thing that I'm doing, and I never really get started. A lot of us have things we want to do, but we never get started. We say, I want to be a business owner. We say, I want to be a millionaire. But there are certain things that millionaires do. There are certain habits that millionaires have. There are certain routines that business owners have that you can't wait until you're a business owner or a millionaire. You got to get started now. I love what John, Pastor John Gray says. He says, the Bible says, when a man finds a wife, he finds a good thing. Y'all heard that verse before? I love the subtlety of the theology of that. That a man finds a wife. Okay. This ain't in my notes. But it's good anyway. A man doesn't find a woman, propose, and then she becomes a wife. A man finds a wife. So she's a wife before she's ever married. Because there are certain things that a wife does that a single woman doesn't do. And there are some things a husband does that a single man doesn't do. So if I'm looking for a wife, I got to be a husband right now. Okay. And a husband doesn't do like coming to America and soil my royal oats. Come on, somebody need to say amen. Because husbands don't do that. But sometimes you got to get started. Can't wait until game one of the season. The Seahawks, if they want to go to the Super Bowl next year, when do you think it started? It started the night they lost the playoffs. <laughs> they get started. Somebody's cleaning out their locker, they ain't coming back. Because we're on our way to the Super Bowl. Some things would be amazing if we just got started. Here's what I know about Jesus, and here's what I know about the enemy. The enemy loves to keep you from getting started. Let me look at John 10. If you're in this church long enough, I swear you will hear this first every single sermon until you memorize it. It is such a clear picture of the gospel and what Jesus wants to do. This is what the Bible says, John 10, 10. It's easy to remember, easy to memorize. The thief, how many of you know who the thief is? The thief's purpose is to steal, to kill, and destroy. Jesus says, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. In other words, my purpose is for my people to be in the flow. The enemy's purpose is to steal, to kill, and destroy. You know what I've learned? There's one of those three things that's the hardest to do. One of those things that the enemy loves to do is to destroy. Here's why. 
anybody can start something new, right? Start something new, start over, start a new relationship, start a new this, and eventually he'll come around, he'll try to steal, he'll try to kill. But when he's destroyed something that's already been built up, the hardest thing is to rebuild it. It's easy to start a new relationship. It's hard to build a broken one. And what he likes to do is keep us from getting started. So Jesus is trying to say to us, look, I've got a life that I want you to live. i got a life that I want to give you, and I want you to experience it. I want you to, to know what it feels like. And what we got to start with this decision is, I've got to get started. Doesn't matter where I am at in my life spiritually, I got to get started. Doesn't matter if I don't know anything about the Bible, I got to get started. Doesn't matter if I don't know how to pray, I got to get started. Doesn't matter if I don't go to church consistently, just get started. I don't know how to check my attitude, just get started. I don't know how to raise these bad kids, just get. I don't have any money saved for my retirement. Just get started. I have bad credit. I don't own my home. Get started. It starts somewhere. So, okay, let's teach this thing today. I'm really excited about it. I think you've already got my message, but I'm going to walk this through. So, as I mentioned, the flow, I love this metaphor of the flow, is grace. See, grace does a lot of things. Grace is what we need. As a believer, we need grace. As people... We need grace. As husbands, come on, we need some grace, right? We need an extra measure of grace. We need an extra measure of a second chance. Because when you get started at something, and you know, it's, it's like when a baby starts walking. Nobody watches a baby start walking for like two weeks. Says, you know what, I, think, I don't think you're going to be good at walking, son. I think you just need to give this up. This is, this is, not, this is just not for you. You've tried so hard. I'm proud of you. Let's work on the crawling. Let's see if we can get faster with that because the walking thing. Nobody does that to a child, right? They got to fall and they got to get up. They got to fall and they got to get up. In fact, there's a text that says a just man could fall seven times, but he or she gets back up. It's in the getting started because sometimes when we fall, we throw up our hands, right? That's what, these, uh, <laughs> that's what these politicians are doing in Washington. They, they don't want to negotiate, huh? I told you once, I'm done. I don't, I'm quit. I don't want to talk anymore. It's childish. It's foolish. It's ridiculous. It's dangerous. And we do the same thing sometimes where we're not understanding that people need grace. A lot of times we can't give grace because we need grace. Here, here's one of the things I really want to teach today. It's, a, it's, a, it's an old word. It's a word that doesn't isn't get used in church very much. It's an archaic word. It might have a word that, that may sting you a little bit. It might be something that people don't talk about and don't believe in. But it's good old-fashioned, this old-fashioned theology word. I want to break it down today. Because here's one of the things that keeps us from grace. Why we need grace is because, you ready for this word? Sin. That's a good, that's an old-fashioned church word, right? We don't hear that too much in church. But it is a biblical concept that can't be ignored. 
But I want you to understand it today. I'm not going to tell you to repent, but I want you to understand what's happening and what sin is. Sin is a very common biblical theme in the Bible. In fact, it's the reason why we need Jesus. It's the reason why we need a Savior because of sin. Sin is not just human nature. Sin is not just bad habits. Sin does not get ignored just because we say, well, God knows my heart. Yeah, he knows it's jacked up. So I want to talk about sin. I, I want to, can we break this down? Can we do a little Bible study today on sin? Now, there are a couple different words for sin. So in Hebrew, for example, in the, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. Uh, there's not a lot of words in the Hebrew language. The New Testament is primarily written in Greek. And in Greek, there's a lot of words for one thing. So it's very rare that one word would have multiple words in Hebrew. This particular word, sin, or the idea of sin, has a couple different words because it means something slightly different. So I'm going to walk through those with you. So when we talk about sin, there are really three um, different types of sins or categories of sin. So let me put these on the screen for you. And you might want to take notes if you're a note taker. So sin means to miss the mark. If you've ever done archery or at a gun range, you have a target that you're trying to reach. I love football, so we'll use a quarterback, a receiver that you're trying to throw to. You have a target you're trying to reach. You're actually trying, but you miss the mark. You don't do it exactly. There is at least an effort for you to try to do it right, but you just don't do it right. You miss the mark. That's what we would say, the biblical definition, when it's referred to as sin. And I'm going to show you in a scripture in here just a second. I think I jumped ahead. I want to jump back to the scripture and show you a text that really breaks this down. So sin would mean to miss the mark. You at least made an effort. You tried, but you weren't there. Trespasses. Trespasses is another layer of sin, and what trespass means is you intentionally disobey, right? So it's like a boundary, right? It's like a property line. It's like out of bounds. You can see the line. You know the line, but you intentionally disobey it. And there's a little bit of premeditation there, right? You say, you know what? This might not be good for me, but I'm going to do it anyway. I, it sounds like this. I know this is wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway. It's like kids when they're terrorizing their brothers and sisters. Don't touch me. And they got their hands like right here. I told you not to touch me. I'm not touching you. Don't touch me. Ah, right? You just, you know the boundary, but you are, in, you know what? Lord, I know I'm getting ready to do this, but I'm just going to do it anyway. That's trespasses. Another layer of sin is iniquity. And this one is a little deeper, and this one's very, very problematic. The Bible talks about iniquity. Iniquity is an intentional, continued disobedience without repentance. 
In other words, I know I'm wrong. I don't care, and I don't plan on changing. That's a state of iniquity. It says, I know what the boundary is. I know what wrong, wrong is, but I intentionally am not going to change. Here's a great definition of this. Um, I'm going to bring my phone up here. But on my phone, I have an alarm, right? And most of you probably maybe use your phone for an alarm. Now, an alarm is supposed to remind you to wake up. It's not supposed to wake you up. Right? Can I break that down a little bit? Okay. In other words, when you go to sleep at night, you are supposed to have an intention to wake up. Like you have to go to work, you are supposed to intend that I'm going to get up. The alarm is you're supposed to wake up and then hear the alarm to remind you, yes, I better get up. When you set your alarm and go to sleep and depend on your alarm, that means you have no intention on getting up in the morning. So what happens is if you don't set your alarm, right? Or your alarm doesn't go off. People say my alarm didn't go off. It's a computer. It's, it's, it's a phone. It doesn't, it doesn't malfunction that way. You just didn't set it. The alarm just didn't decide to turn it off. You just didn't set the alarm. So when, when your alarm doesn't go off, right, and you don't hear it, and you wake up really late, it really means you had no intention on getting up. Here's how I know it. If you, <laughs> this, is, this is the best example I can give. I'm sorry. Okay, so let's just say there's a married couple, and one of the spouses who has the longest hair says, you know what, I'm going to wake up at 6 o'clock, and I'm going to show you something you'll never forget, a.m. That brother will be up at 5 o'clock in the morning, Okay. He will have worked out. He will have stretched. He will have made some breakfast. That brother would be up and sit at 5.30. The brother would be waiting on a sister, okay? So if you want to get up, you'll get up. Are you following my metaphor? We're good, right? So iniquity is just like that. See, what happens is people expect God to be their alarm. They have no intention on changing. And so when, the, when they don't hear the alarm and something catastrophic happens, they blame God. Well, God, how could you let this happen to me? And God is saying, I've been trying to tell you that you need to change. But you have decided to deliberately wait for me to tell you when you're doing wrong. Even though you have already decided I'm going to do this and I'm not going to repent. That's iniquity. So let me show you this text because there's a writer in the Bible. And I want you to see this because one of the most godly people in the Bible had the most messed up life. And it was David. And David writes about a period of his life when he really, really messed up. He, he had reached a level of iniquity, and God came crashing in and got him. And he's reflecting on his experience. Here's what he says in the NLT, and I think I have it in the ESV too. 
Here's what it says in the NLT. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those who record the Lord, the record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. When I refused to confess my sin, right, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. I want to read this in a different version because it's going to use the words that I just taught you. Blessed is the one whose, what's that word? Transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Remember sin to miss the mark. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Right? Because the Lord knows that we're unrepentant. The Lord knows that we don't want to change. He's saying blessed is the one whom the Lord counts no iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit for when I kept silent right when I refused to confess when I refused to deal with it when I refused to get started my bones wasted away through all my groaning and day long here's what's deep in the Hebrew what he says I'm just gonna um yeah let me read this let me read this first and then I'll break it down For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as the heat of the summer. What he really is writing beautifully in Hebrew is that his bones dry up. He's expressing this feeling of dryness, of no flow, no moisture, no water, drought. He's expressing that when I was quiet, it wasn't God doing it to me. It wasn't God punishing me. It was just the the anguish and the pain that I brought upon myself by not feeling any flow, by not being in forgiveness. I was drying up. Then verse 5. I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said... I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and he forgave the iniquity of my sin. See, I want you to see, David is is trying to break it down to us. He's saying to us, he's trying to explain, there's something happening inside of us when we refuse to accept the grace that Jesus is offering us. Sin, this is what sin does. This is, let me tell you what sin does. What sin does is it separates. It separates people. Now, here's what's deep about sin in the Bible. The Bible teaches us that you don't just sin against God. That you can sin against other people. That I can sin against you. And God counts it as you sinned against him. 
So you're not just, it's not just vertical. It's not just I'm sinning against God. No, I can sin against you, and God counts it as sin against him. So can I go back to that definition again? So there's one thing when we miss the mark with people. We say, you know what? I tried. I'm sorry. I said the wrong thing. I hurt you. I offended you. I disrespected you. I said the wrong thing. There's another thing when people have boundaries, right? Because that's when Jesus says, if you want to get in the flow, you've got to obey my commandments. See, obedience is what the relationship is built on. And so when people, you and I, we have boundaries, we all have things that we're saying, you're crossing the line with me. We all know in, deep in our heart that if someone were to cross that line for us, they're actually sinning against us. They're actually offending us. And so when people in our lives or when we do it to them, when we deliberately, intentionally disobey someone's boundaries, someone's commandments, someone's um, person, that personhood, we're actually sinning against them. When we're abusing them, when we're putting them down, when we're disrespecting them, we're actually abusing them. And then when we get in a situation where we refuse to change, when we are intentionally continued without repentance saying, I'm going to do this and I don't care what you feel about it. I'm going to do this and I don't care how you feel. I'm going to intentionally disrespect you, cross your boundaries, mess you up, and you are going to be trespassed against because that's my right and that's my prerogative. But you know what happens? That person begins to dry up inside. That person's spirit begins to crush. That person's spirit begins to dry up. And here's the deal. There are a lot of us living in a state of unforgiveness. We're not in the flow. We're wondering what's wrong. We're wondering why we're unhappy. The reason we're unhappy is because there's some unforgiveness out there. And it's not just vertical. Because Jesus says, if you've got an issue with somebody, leave the altar. In other words, leave your offering there. Go straighten that out with them and then come back to me and get it right. Because some of what we don't have right is not just with him. It's with the people he's put in our life that we have hurt and we have sinned against and we have disrespected. So here's what's deep about this thing. Here's what's suggested in the text. When David begins to write the first part of Psalms 32, he suggests that happy people are forgiven people. That the flow and being in the flow and feeling refreshed and not feeling unhappy and not feeling dry is not about how much money I have. It's not about if I can protect myself from a financial crisis. It just means I'm forgiven in every area of my life the people around me they're not holding anything against me 
There's some people that are going to hold something against you, and that's their decision, but it still doesn't keep us from seeking forgiveness, seeking reconciliation. In fact, the gospel is reconciliation. Jesus was justified in sin in humanity to say, you guys are crossing the boundary, and I don't want anything to do with it. But Jesus makes a conscious decision that he's uncomfortable with the separation, and he says, I've got to bring myself into the human experience and bring redemption to them and I will take the full weight of sin on me and the greatest thing that Jesus felt on the cross was to be separated from his father because he'd never been that way never been separated from his father he says remain in me like I remain in my father there's something special because I do what my dad asked me to do I understand what the boundaries are I understand what the rules are and because I love him I don't want to hurt him and so a happy person is really a person that forget is forgiven I want to walk through these I got two minutes I want you to think about what this looks like because I want you to see what grace does. What grace does is it covers. It covers. It, it removes. It cleanses. It washes. It restores. See, grace is something that we don't deserve because we know we've crossed the line, whether we did it on purpose or on accident. And God says, I know, but guess what? When you vocalize it, when you bring it to me, when you're honest about it, I'm going to pour so much grace on you, even I'll forget about it. God's saying, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to restore it so that even I don't remember. The Bible says, I'm covering your sins to the point where even God doesn't remember. We keep bringing it up. We keep going back to it. We keep using it for leverage. But God is saying, no, I'm trying to cleanse you. I'm trying to cover you. And here's the deal. When you feel full forgiveness for God, it overflows. You know what that means? You give it to other people. You say, you know what? Mom, you hurt me. Dad, you were never there in my life. But you know what? I'm choosing to honor you. I'm choosing to make you feel proud of me as a son. I'm choosing to cover you with grace so that no one would ever know how you hurt me. Because actually, I don't even remember. Happy people are forgiven people. Here's what I want to end with. How do we receive it? We receive it through obedience. We actually do what we're asked to do. Not to check a list, but because we love them. We do it with obedience. I wonder what it would look like. I just wrote a short list. I wonder what it would look like if we began to practice obedience in our health. What if we were just starting to get started? So you know what? I'm not going to eat the whole box of donuts this time. <laughs> I'm not going to eat the whole row of Oreos. I'm just going to eat two, right? I'm just going to get started. I'm just going to start with my health. I'm just going to start being obedient and choose carefully what I eat. 
because it's not just an offense to God who has given me this body to destroy it. It's not just offensive to people who are really sick and they wish they had the health we had. It's offensive to my children that I can't even bend down and pick them up because I'm tired, I'm out of shape, I'm unhealthy, and I'm like, look, I don't even care. I'm going to eat what I want to eat. I'm going to do what I want to do. That's iniquity. That's what it is. I don't care that you're afraid of what I eat. I don't care that you're afraid that I don't sleep. I don't care that you're afraid of what I watch. No, I'm going to protect my mental health, my physical health, my financial health, my actual health, and I'm going to be obedient and say, when my wife says, honey, stop putting so much salt on that, I'm going to put the salt down because I'm crossing a boundary. What would it look like in your sexuality? What would it look like to start being obedient for some of you to your future spouse? For some of you, for your future relationship that you're not walking in beat up, scarred, hurt, angry, and expecting someone to do something for you and make you feel happy when the reality is you're living in unforgiveness for what you did to yourself. What does it look like for you sexually to bring something to the table, to to say, honey, I want to please you. That's what this is about, not pleasing me. What about your prayer and your Bible study time? Sometimes God says, look, I want you to, I'm waking you up, and I want to tell you something. You know what we do sometimes? We just ignore it. And there are sometimes, there are seasons and, and moments in the day when God is nudging us with that alarm, eh, and we snooze it and God is saying I needed to connect with you I needed you to prepare for the next news you're going to get what would it look like if we were obedient to the spirit when he calls us and say I need you to spend some time with me I need you to read your Bible look not perfect not spending an hour just getting started I'm an area what about Sabbath what about rest What about saying, I'm taking 24 hours to devote myself, to give myself to you. I'm not going to do what everybody else asked me to do because this is your time. You have provided this for me, and I want to respect you, and I'm going to be obedient in my day. I'm not saying you're supposed to sit in a room somewhere and read the Bible till you fall asleep. I'm talking about maybe there's a Sabbath during the week for you to spend time with the people you love, for you to reconcile, for them to look forward to Sabbath because they know on Friday night dad's going to apologize. On Friday night mom's going to make it right. On Friday night somebody, we're going to be sitting at the table together because reconciliation happens on Sabbath. Peace happens on Sabbath. Joy flows on Sabbath. Here's the last one. I better stop preaching out of time what would happen in our relationships if we just got started I know this is uncomfortable but I feel a stronghold with people in this church who do not live in forgiveness avoiding stuff forgetting stuff going around issues and not dealing with it and your bones are drying up and I'm trying to tell you that there's a peace, there's a happiness there's a joy there's something vibrant about being in forgiveness and 
getting in the flow. There's something wonderful about knowing if someone were to leave this earth tomorrow, me and them are good. I can't tell you how many funerals I've been at where there's the shoulda, coulda, woulda. So many funerals, people are crying and acting a fool. And the reality was they never sought the forgiveness that was available to them. So I'm not trying to scare you. I'm trying to free you. And I know everybody won't receive this, but I want you to, I want to pray for you today because I want someone just to get started. So I want to pray for someone today. I made your eyes bowed, your head closed. Lord, I pray today that someone today will get started. I pray that someone today will see that there is grace for them, that you want to overwhelmingly flow on their lives, that you want them to be free. You want them to be restored, that their relationships, their finances, their spiritual life with you does not have to be a dry place. I'm thankful, Lord, that you are not requiring of us a list of things. You're not asking for perfection. You're just asking us to get started. And there might be someone today who's saying, God, I just want to get started with you. And as I get ready to close this prayer, I just want you, if you're in the room, just to raise your hand and say, God, whatever it is for you, you're just acknowledging that getting started with something. Just slip up your hand. Just slip up your hand. Don't be ashamed. Father, bless the hands that are raised. Lord, I pray that you honor their prayer. And I pray that you will show them that they are forgiven, that they are free. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you.